Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we are going to be talking about the theme of loneliness in Harry Potter. Yeah, figured now's an interesting time for us to talk about loneliness when a lot of people are isolated or quarantined and feeling new kinds of loneliness. Have you experienced different kinds of loneliness during this time? Yeah, so I don't think I've been feeling particularly lonely because I am self-quarantined with my sister and brother-in-law right now. So yeah, there there are people around. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel particularly lonely right now. What about you? Yeah, I think my loneliness is interesting because I'm, I'm Zooming fairly frequently with people and texting a lot. But I think the loneliness that I feel is kind of being out and about in a community. Like, I feel cut off from the just kind of walking around, especially, you know, since I do walking tours and since I teach, like, being a part of a group of people who are all doing something together is just something that that I kind of miss, even while kind of we see new ways of remaining in contact that sometimes even help us stay in contact more often because everyone's kind of experiencing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Since I've haven't done that in a long time it doesn't affect me the same way (laughs) Mm. (laughs) yes well why don't we start our discussion on harry potter and loneliness a series where there are probably a lot of lonely characters (laughs) uh so let's start with a quote this quote comes from the prisoner of azkaban and it is from the first chapter owl post and poor harry is back at the dursleys for the summer Hedwig had been absent for two nights now. Harry wasn't worried about her. She'd been gone this long before, but he'd hoped she'd be back soon. She was the only living creature in this house who didn't flinch at the sight of him. Aw, poor Harry. That's so sad. (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing. I laugh, like, laughing is, like, my generic response to almost everything. But I think that that's also the way that it's written, right? Is that she writes it in a kind of dark humor kind of way. And I don't know, I think that that his loneliness with the Dursleys is really poignant, and this is a great example of that. But because it's also adversarial, there is the kind of humor, and and you can really feel for Harry while also just seeing the extreme lengths of discrimination that he's getting from these folks. Yeah, for sure. And and I think it's very fitting because I think Harry himself has that kind of dark sort of humor oftentimes. Mm. And I think it does stem from his experiences, especially when you are so isolated in so many ways. If you don't find things humorous, I guess humorous in some ways, obviously it's still hurtful and it's still depressing, but if you're not able to think about it in some humorous ways, then I think it can make you feel even worse. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. At least that's my experience in my life. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think part of what struck me about this quote was that, first of all, obviously he's living in a house where people flinch to look at him. And that's been so much of his life, whether it was like flinching or just straight up ignoring him or straight up abusing him. Hmm. And he finally has a companion in his home that he never had before. You know, he made friends with the spiders in his cupboard because there was no one. He had no friends. And to have 
yeah, to have Hedwig, even though she's a pet. But I mean, we see in life that pets can be such a source of comfort or like, you know, therapy animals. And the fact that he had that is just makes his misery back at the Dursley's house a little bit less bad and that he can feel that so acutely when she's gone for two days when he never had that for 11 years but then once once you have that then you feel it so much more once it's gone Hmm. yeah absolutely well why don't we get into our analysis what character did you bring Oh, this was a very hard decision for me because I wanted to talk about so many people. <laughs> but I decided on Draco Malfoy. Good choice. Okay. Yes, because the past couple years I've been kind of struck by a couple things that I hadn't really thought about as much in regard to him. And one was through reading The Cursed Child. Just when he was talking about being alone is Mm. so hard and like that he was alone and it sent him to a really dark place and he said it's exceptionally lonely being draco malfoy i will always be suspected there's no escaping the past and to just see him as a kid being lonely and i'll get into some of that and then like stretching all the way into his future like 19 plus years later he's still lonely which is Mm. quite tragic also the other thing that struck me when i read through the first harry potter book you know thought about oh draco this bratty little elitist kid who then becomes you know in the next book you find out this bratty little bigoted kid you know and this past read through i was paying more attention to him because of having read The Cursed Child and him saying that he was alone. And it was just so blaringly obvious to me through this last read-through that he really just wanted to be involved with Harry and his friends Mm. in in that first year because he went about it in the wrong way with playing pranks and stuff, which obviously a lot of kids do. But like, oh, there's a midnight duel and then I'm going to not show up and tell people about it so you'll get in trouble. And then jumping out to scare Neville while doing the detention in the Forbidden Forest. Hmm. Those are totally things. I mean, I've jumped out to scare people through a lot of my childhood so I understand the impulse of like oh this is a way of playing even though they really may not like it Um, but what really struck me is like he follows Harry Ron and Hermione out to Hagrid's hut oversees them with the dragon and then he goes to visit Ron in the hospital wing (laughs) and says like he's allowed to you know go in because he says he needs to borrow a book from him which he actually borrows from Ron. (laughs) Ron gives him the book. And then in there is the note from Charlie, right? About when they're going to meet on the astronomy tower to get Norbert. Mm -hmm. Then Draco doesn't go tell Snape about it. So Snape can be waiting for them. And so they can like get expelled or, you know, detention forever or whatever. He doesn't do that. And if you really wanted them to get severely in trouble, you just go to Snape who already favors you. No, Mm. he just goes to try to meet up with them while they're doing the dragon exchange and gets caught by 
McGonagall. But, like, <laughs> this kid's just trying to be involved. He's doing a really bad job of it. And he's still a butt. <laughs> but he's also, like, he wants friends, it seems like. Because his only, you know, quote-unquote friends are, like, minions, you know? They're not intelligent. They can't really keep up with them. He has them around as protection Mm -hmm. uh, because they're big and he's small so that he can throw his weight around and feel powerful. But, like, he doesn't really have any friends. And then, obviously, as we get into the sixth book, we really get to see him be alone. He feels so alone because he's in this completely stressful situation and he's terrified and there's no one he can really talk to about it except Myrtle the ghost who's already died like that's who he can relate to and then also literally he's so alone because he's spending hours upon hours over weeks and months alone in the room of requirement trying to fix this cabinet Mm. and you know, in those the summers, too, he has to be stuck in a home with Voldemort and Bellatrix and Fenrir, who comes around a lot. That's absolutely terrifying. And, yeah, it's just, he has a lot of problems, obviously. He grew up with very bigoted ideas and needs to repent from those and change. Mm-hmm. At the same time, his character does create a lot of compassion from me because who could you relate to when you've gone through this when you're like 16, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yes, lonely boy Draco Malfoy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so much of that too is is tied into his family, in particular his father. Every time he gets upset about something, it's my father will hear about this so much so that that's become a meme. But like... <laughs> That means that the only person he has to complain to is his dad, you know, like the first person it comes to. And yeah, obviously it's because also his father's power, but it's also like his dad talks about how he's been complaining about Hermione and Harry all summer, right? Like, you know, this is, I think, such a strong relationship for him. And that quote that you mentioned from Cursed Child of he'll always be Draco Malfoy, he can't escape that. I think that's not just himself, but even from a child, he couldn't escape his family. And in book two, he is the person that Harry and the gang think is responsible. And sure, he's shown that he's a bigot and that he's totally cool with people dying, but that doesn't mean that he's necessarily doing it. And their suspicion is so strong against him just because of who he is and who he's attached to. Yeah, I think that it, it, it is really hard for him to be the only child, the only son, frankly, of Lucius Malfoy, you know, learning how to be friends with people by seeing his father order everyone around, right? Not seeing close relationships in his family, probably. And I just, I think that that's, that's so profound and definitely is one of the reasons why he's such a a fascinating character. Yeah, and I mean, even, like, being the only child in an enormous manner, Mm -hmm. like, even that alone, I could imagine, would feel so lonely. But I, I would push back a little on, I don't know that he's perfectly fine with people dying. I think he 
says that he is, but when it comes down to it, I don't think that he is. Right. I should I should say this is from Harry's perspective that he oh, sees yeah. him as perfectly fine with people dying, right? Because that's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that that book six shows that he is extremely conflicted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why don't we move on to your plot point? I wanted to talk about how in The Half-Blood Prince, in book six, as Dumbledore is kind of bringing Harry in on these individual one-on-one lessons, I specifically want to talk about how when he gets to the question of the Horcrux and the the eventual fight between Harry and Voldemort after they destroy all the Horcruxes and, and this kind of journey and path that they're going on, Dumbledore encourages him to share it with Ron and Hermione. And mm-hmm. I think that's such a, a great moment because, you know, Harry responds so gratefully. You know, you can see that he is glad that he'll be able to share this with them and that he won't be isolated further in this knowledge and and eventually even in the journey. And I, I, I wonder so much about how much of that decision for Dumbledore was his knowledge that, again, Harry would probably do it anyway and it's best to not have him feel like he needs to keep secrets from Dumbledore, but also how much of it comes from Dumbledore's isolation and Dumbledore's loneliness in this fight, where because this information is so secret and because his plan is unable to be spread to to anyone else, he understands what it's like to kind of fight on your own and to hold these big decisions and these big secrets and these big missions all within yourself. And I think he sees the downside of that and the pain that that can bring on someone. And he also probably sees, well, frankly, Hermione's competence, but just the strength (laughs) that I think Harry gets from being with his friends. Harry is not just around people who have skills or knowledge that he doesn't, but that Harry is such a loving social person, having them along with him is going to make him stronger, even within himself. So I I just think that that decision for Dumbledore to knowingly say that Hermione and Ron should be a part of this this secretive mission mission that he hasn't told anyone else about, right? He's told Snape, I guess, and not even Snape. Snape doesn't know about the Horcruxes, right? And I can't imagine how lonely that is for for Dumbledore. Yeah, to hold that, like, burden of also like this kid is gonna die Mm -hmm. which finally he does tell snape about that part but yeah yeah that's yeah so i just i think that it's really fascinating to see this decision because this is dumbledore knowing that he's going to die and that he needs to pass on this task to harry and in so doing he ensures that Harry will not be alone in the same way that he is, which is, I think, ultimately one of the reasons Harry's choices and his uh, perspective on everything is something that I admire so much because it is so focused on the people that he's around and what he's willing to do for for others. And I like to think that Dumbledore kind of recognized that and knew that as uh, part of his rationale. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and also maybe recognize that that's a part of Harry potentially to a fault Mm. where he'll put people above the mission which is something obviously Dumbledore never did which he gets a lot of criticism for and I understand Mm -hmm. why he gets the criticism for but I also understand why he made the decisions that he did I mean not all of them but a lot of them but like yeah having other people there to 
be in on it with him and having Hermione as the voice of reason, you know, can help him not just go fling himself in <laughs> front of every person who's about to get crucioed or something. Mm. Yeah, your point makes me wonder too if that was part of the reason for it being so important that Dumbledore wanted to give him the resurrection stone. Obviously, there's the, you know, master of death piece, but that even when he was going to die and walking there, he didn't have to be alone. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. Well, did you have a compelling question? Yeah, so loneliness can stem from a lot of different sources. It's not just like one type of loneliness. And so I was wondering what were some different sources or different types of loneliness that you see in this series that you find interesting? Hmm. And they can be linked to specific characters or groups of people or, you know, whatever it would be. I think that one of the things that that really comes out in Harry Potter is this, the loneliness that comes with losing those who are supposed to be taking care of children, losing authority figures or parents or what have you. Harry obviously Mm -hmm. loses his parents and does not have loving family to, to raise him. I also see that like in Luna, where Luna lost her mother at a young age. And I think that's one of the reasons why she's able to be such close friends with Harry, Why how they can kind of understand each other, even if they haven't spent a ton of time together, because she kind of understands that loneliness, I think. Mm-hmm. And it also makes her okay with loneliness, where she doesn't need to have friends to kind of fill that in. But the friends that she does have, she clearly treasures. But then you see that continue on with Harry where, you know, he loses Sirius in book five and then he loses Dumbledore in book six. And that kind of feeling alone in the sense of he has no one to turn to to rely on as like a parent figure or an adult in the room to to take care of things, that he is alone. He is the person who has to do it. And that responsibility kind of comes with loneliness of not having someone to, to rely on. Yeah. Yeah, those are the things that are coming to my mind right now. What were you thinking? Yeah, well, I was thinking about the loneliness Snape must feel stemming from just Mm. no one really knowing you and people believing lies about you. I was thinking about Hagrid and loneliness stemming from Mm. you're the only person like you around. I don't know that I have always, always identified it as loneliness, but like being Hoppa and... If I'm not with other people who are my same mix of cultures, you don't always feel understood Mm. or a part of the group or whatnot. And so I can definitely see Hagrid feeling that a lot. I think Neville would have a lot of loneliness stemming from not only like people not being friends with him for a lot of his years at Hogwarts, but the type of suffering that he has experienced because of what happened to his parents Mm -hmm. none of the other kids around understand that and he wasn't even close enough to anyone or felt comfortable enough talking about it at all yeah and so yeah like having something that's so important in your life be so hidden i think could definitely make you feel really lonely i think luna like you were talking about i think also she would feel lonely Because she falls outside the parameters Mm. of what society says is quote-unquote normal. And that type of 
social isolation to the hmm. point where she's like, oh, are we doing the DA again this year? I liked it. It was like having friends. She already is saying it was like having friends. Like She doesn't even consider them her friends yet because she's been so socially isolated. Hmm. I was also thinking about Sirius. Not only was he incarcerated for years and anyone who's at Azkaban, just that isolation. I can't imagine how lonely that would be. But then even when he gets out, he has to be stuck at Grimmauld Place while everybody else goes out and does things. And like how lonely that could make you feel when you watch everybody leave to go live their lives and you can't do anything but stay where you are. And yeah, I was also thinking about the health cells because actually no one really cares about them, especially in Mm -hmm. a lot of the families that they're with. So yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of different sources of loneliness in in Harry Potter. And also, like, even Ron, like, there's so many people in his family and Mm -hmm. there's all of these people around him, but he doesn't feel seen. Even amidst so many people, you could feel lonely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But what's your compelling question for me? I was wondering how you saw loneliness interact with power and authority in Harry Potter. Hmm, interesting. Well, I mean, that's an interesting thing with Dumbledore, as you were mentioning. Mm -hmm. Because he has a lot of power and a lot of authority and a lot of knowledge, it does seem to make him separated and i mean where is he most of the time probably just in his office like doing research Mm -hmm. and whatnot and i'm kind of thinking about like voldemort and his intense power like power that he was born with separating him from other people and him wanting to keep that separation because of the power and status he has and yeah i just i wonder like Does he feel lonely? Did he ever feel lonely? Did he in some way enjoy when he was connected to Coral? I mean, obviously in Very Potter Musical, clearly he (laughs) did. But yeah, I don't know. What were you thinking? Yeah, I definitely think Voldemort is a really good example. And just the Death Eaters in general, they desire power, right? And Voldemort doesn't really, you know, he's not like the Emperor in Star Wars where he doesn't really desire power order in in the kind of same way or at least seem to talk about it in the same way he desires just power he just wants to be the person who rules wizardom and part of that comes from hating those who don't have power and who are weak or who he sees as weak but i think that it really is so focused on on kind of self-sufficiency and isolation and that connection is weak Uh, i think that the torture of the muggle studies professor is a really good example of that but even look at the way that the other death eaters treat each other you know it's not about connection and trusting each other it's about wanting to one-up each other for status and power and the way they change the wizarding world to be paranoid and giving each other up instead of relying on each other i think that it is such an isolating idea of power Mm. and they it's not like they even most of them even kept in contact after, mm. you know, the ones that didn't go to Azkaban, like, 
after Voldemort fell. Yeah, exactly. So I think that that's a really, really interesting uh, area to look at it. I also think that just I'm looking at the professors at Hogwarts generally and how that kind of position of authority over students is also in some ways seems kind of isolating because the professors, we don't see them have partners. We don't see them have friendships outside of each other. And obviously they have relationships with the students, but there also has to be a separation there the way that it's it's run because they're children and they're adults with authority. And so mm-hmm. I, I kind of see Trelawney as the best example of this kind of isolation. Mm-hmm. But even McGonagall, she, she calls people by their first name but she clearly has a intense rivalry with Snape at the very least. And so I can see that as, as being a way that the teachers themselves feel more connected to each other at times, possibly, but also more isolated from the rest of the world and even from the majority of the people that they're around, which are their students. Yeah, and like, look at Argus Felch. Mm, yeah, that's a great example, too. He has authority. He doesn't necessarily have power. Um, Mm. He has some amount that's given to him, but not power from ability. And actually, can he give detentions? I think so. Or maybe actually, maybe he can't. Maybe he's just the person who sometimes... Well, he can write them up, right? Yeah, but I think it it is their heads of house are the ones who, who state what their punishment's going to be. Yeah, so he has to, like, help enforce discipline without really having any type of other relationship with the students. Heads of houses, they're also teachers. So the students have a relationship with them and hopefully at least respect them as a teacher. Hopefully, if they're not being abusive, like them as a teacher. Filch doesn't have any of that. He's walks around making sure no one's out past curfew confiscating enchanted artifacts and checking students luggage and all of these different things like he has to do the things that the students would be most annoyed and frustrated with Hmm. yeah that is super lonely i mean i'm glad that he has mrs norris but other than that it seemed like he didn't have a terrible relationship with Snape, at least at the beginning of the series. But other than that, he's he's always alone. Yeah. That also makes me think about even the student leadership. If you're hmm. head girl, head boy, or prefect, if that could... I mean, at least prefects, you're together on it. But... With the head girl and head boy, you have this position of power that other people probably wanted and didn't get, and that other people just don't like you having because now you can get them in trouble. Yeah. I mean, Percy has his own set of reasons why he was ostracized in his family, but I don't think necessarily his love of following the rules helped that, you know? I think it Mm -hmm. isolated him from his family because so many of his siblings just didn't care about following the rules. So trying to enforce that, I think, probably would make him much lonelier. Yeah. They even have a separate bathroom, (laughs) the prefects. (laughs) So lonely. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Well, should we move on to our, our missed opportunities? Yeah. So mine is... Uh, There's also so many things I wanted, but (laughs) I'm choosing to go with ghosts. 
Oh, interesting. Because I'm just really interested in how they would feel and how they would experience loneliness because they have all of the time in the world to make relationships, but they don't seem to. Hmm. We almost always just see a ghost by themselves, not congregating with other ghosts. And even the fact that Sir Nicholas has his death day party, which he invites a lot of people to, but even there, I mean, he wasn't even having a very good time. He wants to be able to be in the headless hunt and he can't because the people who murdered him didn't do a proper job of it. <laughs> I mean, they, they did They did succeed at murdering him. They, they did that, but... If their goal probably, was beheading, Yeah, exactly. They, they would have gotten a B plus on that one. <laughs> but the community he wants to be a part of, he can't be a part of. Uh, you have Myrtle, who's clearly super lonely, and Helena... Ravenclaw also seems super lonely. And so it's just interesting. They they have all of this time where they could make really good, deep relationships that never even have to end, but it seems like they don't. And I don't know if their reasons for staying and becoming ghosts have to do with that, like if they were already lonely, because they're not staying for relationships. They're not staying because... You know, I'm not ready to leave my friends yet because obviously, you know, you're going to be there forever and they're eventually going to die. And so, yeah, I don't know if they were already kind of in that place. Obviously, it seemed like Myrtle was. Mm. Yeah, it's just, it's it's interesting. And it's just something that I wonder about how they even interact with the staff. How, I mean, Dumbledore is super old and he's been there for a super long time. And... You know, you think that they could have friendships with some of the portraits or something mm. that are just like can be there forever now, too. That would be interesting. And that's also kind of an interesting point going back to your question about positions of power for like the head of Hogwarts. They have their portrait previous headmasters to confer with, which is an interesting aspect of maybe them being able to feel a little less alone because... They also experience some similar things, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. What about you? What's your missed opportunity? My missed opportunity is, I think it would have been really interesting if they analyzed Voldemort's use of horcruxes as part of his, his kind of loneliness or his purposeful loneliness, mm. because this is something that he does... And it kind of is the most intimate thing we see him do with any other thing. And it's intimacy with inanimate objects. And it's intimacy with him parts of himself, mm-hmm. where this is something that he keeps secret from everyone else because it's important to his power and his immortality as he sees it. But it's also something where the only connections that he can create are disconnections, are connecting mm-hmm. parts of himself to something else and then separating from that. And whereas Dumbledore is all about loving and caring for people and and those types of ideas, Voldemort is so much in the opposite direction that he can't even value or possibly even stand the idea of being whole himself, of being in community even with himself, where he needs to kind of have that separation 
through the creation of Horcruxes. And so I just I wonder if that is something that was intentional or if that's something that could have been explored more. Yeah, just kind of the idea of obviously Horcruxes are created through the act of killing, which in and of itself is among the most antisocial things one can do. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I guess uh, I just I think it would have been really interesting to see that through that kind of perspective as well. Yeah, definitely. And like how interesting would that be kind of juxtaposed to Harry where Voldemort has all of this power which separates him from others and he uses to separate himself from others and then as you were saying like make disconnections within himself as well and then Harry uses the power that he has that was at first a relational power that came to him through his mother to then create more relational power against Voldemort like when he sacrifices himself for everybody and then Voldemort's curses don't work on them anymore Mm. you know that like Harry he brings together in a way that helps diminish loneliness where even when Voldemort brings together like in his Death Eaters like you were talking about before it's in this isolating lonely way yeah yeah exactly Man, loneliness is really, really in Harry Potter, huh? Right. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's the thing. That's probably my takeaway is that, like, it's so pervasive in this series, even though it's often not talked about as loneliness, which I think is kind of brilliant. Not that it was necessarily intentionally done, but I think there's a lot of times where we don't actually realize that we're lonely or what we're feeling is loneliness. Mm. And so I kind of like that it can be seen in all of these ways, but it's not always identified as such. And also, yeah, I think my other takeaway would be that maybe because Harry experienced so much loneliness growing up, and not only just, you know, once he gets to Hogwarts, it's all gone. He deals with loneliness when everybody thinks he's the heir of Slytherin. He deals with loneliness when he's the only person who's seen a classmate die. He, de- you know, mm-hmm. he deals with this all the time, and he so consistently helps people not be alone. All of those different like categories that I was talking about, are, like the different sources for loneliness. I think a lot of those he helps lessen. You know, Hermione was super lonely, and then he's Mm. like, you know, Hermione's in the bathroom. Like, you know, she's going to get hurt by this troll, and then friendship starts. Dobby comes to him, and instead of, like, everyone else seeing him as beneath him and not something that anybody would care about, he cares about him Mm -hmm. enough to stick his neck out to help free him, and... Luna and Neville like with the DA like he all of these different people who are lonely I think he takes some of that away just by being caring and sending letters to Sirius and everything like and I wouldn't be surprised if it's because of what he experienced when he was younger yeah absolutely and and that makes me I think my takeaway is is seeing that in contrast to Voldemort I think the two of them they purposefully mirror each other in a lot of ways where they're orphaned they are half-blood they have a lot of similarities in their origins but they also go in such opposite directions with it where 
Voldemort, like, I, we don't obviously know what his experience was like at the orphanage. The foster system in orphanages are, are, are can be extremely problematic, you know? And so possibly that was really hard for him. But we also see that he was kind of the aggressor in what we do see of that past. Whereas with Harry, he's the victim, always. Mm-hmm. And as they continue to grow, like you mentioned, Harry is always about building community with people. And Voldemort is never about that he might be about manipulating people but never about building community together and um so that loneliness is so important to both of them but they answer in such diametrically opposed ways where voldemort's all about utilizing and creating more loneliness whereas harry's about mitigating it yeah Oh my god, and I just realized, like, even with Snape, when I was talking about the loneliness of no one actually knowing who you really are, like, the only person who actually knew at the end was Harry. Hmm. He gave him his memories, and that was the last thing he did, and he knew when he was giving those that, like, he was gonna see the parts of him that nobody else saw. Yeah, and then Albus gets partially named for him. He he is symbolically brought into mm-hmm. Harry's family because of it, because Harry is the last person to know him, and he in some ways accepts him. And yeah, that's really powerful. Ugh, I love Harry. <laughs> yes, Harry is the best. <laughs> Harry is, like, the best. He can be so frustrating at times, but, like, he's the best. I mean, yeah, obviously I Hermione is the best, but, like, Harry's... <laughs> Harry's, Harry's the second best. Great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you bring up what we'll be discussing next week? So we'll be going back to the Lord of the Rings, and we are going to look through the theme of compassion. Oh, that'll be great. Compassion in the Lord of the Rings. Yes, I love it. Well, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find us on social media by searching for Geek Between the Lines on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Pinterest. Or you can go to our website at bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines. Or go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines to help support us during a time of job insecurity. It's really, really meaningful that we have so many wonderful patrons on Patreon and that so many people care so much about our show. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pestel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. If you haven't yet, you can always leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find us, and that really helps us find new listeners, so that would be really appreciated as well. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.